0: Hello and welcome to There Will Be Spoilers. I'm Matt. And I'm Ethan. And there will be adult language in this episode. I guess there kind of always is, but this is definitely to an extreme.
1: Yeah, so if you've got small children in the room or you don't dig the adult language, you might want to put your headphones on.
0: About number ninety-six on AFI's top one hundred list, and that is Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing nineteen eighty nine.
1: Nineteen eighty nine, do the right thing.
0: I actually hadn't even heard of it before. I hadn't either.
1: We're uncultured swine, Matt.
0: Wait, we, well that's the whole point of this this <laughs> show. So we are uncultured swine with the right tools, looking to lead people through the darkness.
1: Yes. Yes. We're, we're
0: wallowing in the mud as uncultured swine. In yeah, attempts absolutely. to get ourselves clean with the mud. It's a terrible metaphor, but I <laughs> yeah, think it's,
1: it still works. You've lost me, but <sighs> okay.
0: <laughs> to start out, I guess I should say that I was really ambivalent about this movie. Really? In, I think, all the
1: right ways. Oh, I really liked this movie. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I think I like it, but I think what it was is not that. The film, It well, hmm, you know what we should do? What? We should have us give you a plot recap. Yeah, let's do
1: that. Do the Right Thing is a story of basically a neighborhood in Brooklyn centered mostly around Mookie, who's a pizza delivery man, also played by Spike Lee, for Sal's Pizzeria, or as Sal says it, Pizzeria. Uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah,
0: It was weird how he was saying it
1: Pizzera. It's the hottest day of the year and the rising heat is mirrored by the rising tensions of the neighborhood residents who include mayor, who's a drunk, mother, sister an older woman who holds watch over the street from her window Sal's sons uh, Pino and Vito, Smiley who's a mentally handicapped man who um, hocks pictures of Malcolm X and MLK and Radio Rahin, who always carries around a radio, a big boombox, playing Fight the Power. And that's just a, just a few of the people. Mookie is always late coming back to work from his deliveries, and through his travels throughout the neighborhood, we get to see the drama of the neighborhood. There's resentment over Korean immigrants. There's alternating anger and love for Sal's pizzeria. De Mayer's attempts to be a positive force in the neighborhood, despite his drunkenness, and so on. Uh, eventually... A character named Buggin' Out starts an argument with Sal, who only has images of Italian Americans on the wall of the pizzeria. Buggin' Out wants black people on the wall, but Sal refuses, and they fight, and he kicks Buggin' Out out. Buggin' Out spends the rest of the day trying to convince people to boycott Sal's, and people don't really buy it. But eventually he convinces Smiley and Radio to boycott the place, and they eventually confront Sal, just after he's had a really heartfelt moment with Mookie and his sons at closing time. Sal, who otherwise has been very racially tolerant, even in the face of his racist son, loses it and calls radio the N-word, and then he bashes in his radio with a baseball bat. They fight. The fight blows up, and it makes its way out into the street, which attracts the neighborhood's attention. Police show up. They put radio in a chokehold, and they kill him. This sparks a riot in which Sal's place is burned to the ground, chaos ensues. Uh, So the next day, Mookie confronts Sal at the ashes of the pizzeria, demanding his week's salary. Um, They argue, and they argue, and they argue, and they argue, and then they tentatively sort of make up. Mookie takes his money and leaves. Um, And then the film ends with a Martin Luther King quote, about nonviolence, a Malcolm X quote about violence, or in self-defense.
0: Yeah, like violence in the face of violence, it seems.
1: Yeah, violence in the face of violence. And then the final image we see before the credits is a picture of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X that Smiley has been peddling all day. And that's just sort of a taste. I mean, this is really sort of an ensemble piece, and there's a lot of smaller little narratives that happen within, but that's, that's sort of like the... Broad strokes, Reader's Digest version.
0: This film made me feel like this was a collection of vignettes. Yeah, definitely. Like I am reading a Richard Wright collection of of short stories in which you know several key themes are reiterated and pushed on. So, speaking of themes, I'm going to usurp your position and lay oh. the first theme down for us. Okay, do it. In that love and hate dichotomy that you alluded to in your plot, uh, we have the the most present enunciation of that in Radio Raheem's Love and Hate Brass Knuckles or yeah. Jewelry. And he talks about hate striking most often, but, but love's the one that's going to knock you out. And so that love and hate also reminds me of sex and violence. So yeah. we see this in the very first scene, which is some sort of dance number.
1: Yeah, it's like, it's like it's almost like a music video from the 80s is sort of what it looks like.
0: Yeah, so we've got Tina, which is Mookie's girlfriend, baby mama. They have a son together named Hector, and she's doing this incredibly violent and sexually charged dance to where it, it actually culminates in just a close shot of pelvic thrusts. Yeah. So that is intertwined throughout the entire movie. And
1: it's and it's to fight the power, which Radio Raheem always plays. Yeah,
0: it's very much grounding this movie in love and hate. I think that's where this ambivalence I had mentioned earlier comes from for me. Not that I don't like the movie, or I like the movie, but that it's so layered. Obviously, one of the themes is that violence is just below the surface of every one of us. Yeah, definitely. And it just takes small things to accumulate, to create great violence. Yeah. That shouldn't be surprising to any of us. I think that's pretty well stated now, anyway, that we kind of understand that about human nature. But... It makes certain characters who appear altruistic, I'd say. Like the mayor is like a saint. You know, he doesn't do anything to anybody.
1: Well, I mean, he verbally assaults the poor Korean people.
0: The mayor doesn't.
1: Yeah, he does. When he goes at the beginning and he's yelling about his, his pissed off they don't have high life.
0: But that's so minor compared to what those store owners get from everyone else. It's like a minor irritation for him. It just shows you that even he has some ambivalence, right? He's a drunk. He's he's pretty pretty much a homeless drunk. But he saves a child without even thinking. He's always there to try to restore peace or order. People look to him for guidance, even though they also sort of look down on him. Right. So it's incredibly complex.
1: Yeah, and he does say that... The title of the film. When anytime anybody says the title of a film in a film, I just I just think roll credits. If you do you watch uh, Cinema Sins? It's like this is a free plug to Cinema Sins because I love them. But they always say that when they say the tit- And So he's like, "Do the right thing," you know? Or roll credits. This is we're done. Yeah, he also, he also <laughs> kind of
0: bookends the movie. You know, we wake up with him.
1: Yeah, he does bookend the movie. You're right. We he, we start with him waking up and we end with him waking up, or at least near the end.
0: Right, so I feel like he grounds the movie in a way that we don't get from someone like Mookie. So I have some complications. Speaking of ambivalence, Mookie throws a trash can through the window of Sal's. Or yeah, and why? Like he doesn't really seem to have a motivation for that.
1: Well, okay, so this is something interesting. I was just reading a, a couple hours ago about this. There's, I guess, there's a lot of controversy about this, and Spike Lee's asked this question like. Did Mookie do the right thing? And this is something I wanted to talk about later on, but, but we can hit it now. But Spike Lee said in some interview somewhere that the only people that ask him if Mookie did the right thing are white people.
0: All right. That's, that's, a, that's fine. I don't know if that's him being... I, I'm apt not to trust what a director well, right. I mean, or a writer or the says about something. That, yeah. So the thing, it just kind of smacks of he wanted his character to do the inflammatory thing, to do the ambiguous ambivalent thing but oh, okay. it seems inconsistent to me because he throws a transcan through the window and then immediately goes and sits down and is like oh look at all the chaos around me and it's like you started it yeah like you started that aspect of it let's not say that he's the cause of all this stuff it's clearly you know bugging out and sound having this heated argument that then turns to violence because violence simmers beneath the surface of everyone and obviously Mookie's not above that either but he seems to do that at a time When everything was at a standstill and had a chance to be diffused so i'm not sure why he let that happen that way
1: yeah i mean i reacted to that i mean i had a really sort of i don't know honest or visceral reaction that i was like what are you doing
0: no like i'm fine with a character doing that but i'm not fine with mookie doing that because i didn't see any character motivation for mookie to do that
1: yeah i'm i mean and spike lee's i mean if we're going to trust the the author Spike Lee's response, I think, was something like, he's angry about radio being dead, which I don't know if is if that's a good... Re- uh, yeah, so... I,
0: here's, here's one of my problems with this, is that how come no one identifies that it's not Sal's fault, it's the police's fault? And so if this movie was made in 2016, it would have a different sort of antagonist in that last scene, right? Yeah. It would be the police, because, God, how prescient is that, where oh my a, God, yeah. a black man is killed by police you know by being restrained effectively yeah
1: they, yeah, they, they strangle him with a that's, I mean that's
0: insane that 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 sort of wraps around like that which just goes to show and this is no surprise to anyone that these things have been underlying for for decades if not generations right right but sal is a lot like so he's not from the neighborhood sure but he is obviously from an immigrant family he's i don't think he's first generation but maybe a father or grandfather they're very much still italian in that way yeah. and so he's not in a position of power any more than any other people are in this film however he can be seen as maybe one rung above because he's a business owner
1: well and he's white i mean so he's yeah not so he gets, marked in the same way that, that right
0: so he gets you know he his his store his his restaurant gets burned down within the film because of that what about the korean immigrant you know that that seemed to me to be one of the most inconsistent things. They identify with the Korean immigrant even though there's a scene about how they come over and they're hardworking and they make a store when everyone else just sits on the curb and says, you know, I'm going to make a store.
1: For Okay, so I have a couple answers to that. My first answer is that the Korean people are also visually marked, right? They look different than, you know, the, the – the, the, standard white American. So I think there's some some sort of identification there. And also, the Korean people don't
0: say the N-word. I mean... I understand, and I understand, I get it. And he, you know, swings his broom and says I'm black, I'm black, I'm like you. Right. And they eventually talk ML down, and he's sure enough, like, they come to an understanding with him. They, they become one, they accept him into the fold. Right. But I don't see enough to distinguish Sal, just because there had to be some sort of argument between Sal and him. Sal's not your typical standard white American either. He's Italian. like They're immigrants. His sons are... It's hard to say that these people are also not in the same fold as this neighborhood. Sure, they're not from the neighborhood, but the distinction there just seems very strange to me. It seems like they... It seems like infighting as opposed to waging war.
1: Well, yeah, and if we're going to look at it from a socioeconomic status or socioeconomic lens, I mean, these it, all of these people are in the same fold, vein, whatever. Same, you know, they're all...
0: Yeah, if we take Fight the Power to be the soundtrack to the movie, which it is in a lot of ways, right? It probably yeah. plays through at least one-fourth of the film. Yeah, definitely. They are misidentifying the power.
1: Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. Well, and I think that's the, the great... The great not failing in this movie because I think the movie does, I, that, that's part of the message of the movie.
0: That's part of the tragic nature of the film. Yeah.
1: That's what I mean. In that, like the, you're going after the wrong people. I mean, what bugging out is going after the wrong, per, like what this, you're fighting, you're fighting the wrong, you're playing your music loud and Sal's isn't going to change anything. And it's not going to help anybody. And, and it's just, it, it's infighting. Like you said.
0: Right. But also there has to be some understanding that Sal is accessible For their violence. Yeah, definitely. As opposed to the the state, like the civic authority. You can't fight the power against the government in the same way you can against a small immigrant business owner.
1: Yes, and there's also a strange thing with the police in this film. Because in that first scene where we see the police that I didn't talk about in the synopsis. But there's a scene where they open a fire hydrant. And they're they're spraying. It's all these people in the street, and they're spraying water. And this white guy comes by in his Cadillac, his drop top Cadillac, and he says, "Don't spray water into my Cadillac. It's an antique." And then they say, "You know, drive on by, old man." And then he drives by, and they spray water in his Cadillac. And the cops well, he's jump. being a, he's
0: being a dick to them. So well,
1: right, but the cops come and defend the black people, and they're white cops. Right. And so
0: and it's the same cops that actually kill Radio Raheem.
1: Yeah, and so and there's also. The later scene where the cops drive by the guys that are sitting outside and it's clearly like, a, you know, they're watching that, you know, and so there's so there is racism, but in that first scene, it's so strange that there, it, it seems to be sort of an insider outsider thing. Like these are probably the cops that walk that beat or drive that beat, you know, so they're part of the neighborhood too. There is this sort of unity within the neighborhood. And this is one of the themes I want to talk about is this idea of community um, and what it means to be part of a community or in a community within a community. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, so strictly speaking, I think community is just one partition of othering, right? So what does it mean to be in a community? It means to other others. Yeah. So in this case, the police, This. he seems like a very New York or New Jersey type guy, drives by and causes a bunch of trouble with the neighborhood. So the cops other him, but then the cop, as he's shutting the fire hydrant off, says, I better not have to come back here and bust some heads. So there is this, again, I keep coming back to ambivalence because there are some aspects in which they are community, but they always, it's just incessant fragmenting, you know? Yeah. Which I think is well done. It just also leads to maybe some thematic confusion. At the end of the movie, I think there's a lot going on. You know, we have all these different dichotomies, love, hate, community, outsider, white, black. There's also this thing about money and power. Yeah. So Sal owns the restaurant and at one point tells Mookie, there's no free here yeah. because he works for him. And so that could be reminiscent of master-slave dichotomy. Yeah, absolutely. Or it can be seen as the only way you accrue power here is to be the man with money, which we kind of get an echo of that at the end of the film when he pays Mookie $500 instead of 250 yeah. and says... You know, you're a big man now. You have $500. You've got nothing to worry about. You've made it. Right. And then Mookie rejects the money. It ultimately picks it up.
1: And he takes it, yeah. Well, there's something about capitalism, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but but I think maybe this what, what you're seeing as narrative confusion, I think, is probably richness of the narrative. I think there's so much going on that in a first viewing, it's too much to take in.
0: Right. I think you're right. I don't. I wouldn't call it narrative confusion. I'd call it thematic confusion. Okay. Because I think... Okay, we're gonna for the second time. I'm gonna go back to creative writing and say we want some sort of singleness of effect here, like at the end of the movie, and it's very powerful. It sets it up slow and finishes fast. You know, we have a good sort of arc, and it kind of culminates in a powerful way, and we have a clear rising action climax, denouement type situation. Yeah, and we kind of want to have something concrete to come away with after all of that, and I think it maybe heaps on too much. Which then gets us back to our Blade Runner discussion of how much can we expect someone to watch this film twice?
1: Right. Although this is a very different kind of film.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. But I think it reduces to the same sort of question. Well, yeah, I
1: think so. But I think part of what this film is trying to do is give us too much to. It, there's just too much shit to handle. You're You've right. got so much. That's you know? a good
0: read. I think I could. I can get behind something like that.
1: Yeah, because I. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is that there's just so much and the narrative reflects that because we've got how many characters
0: there's about like a dozen important characters in that film that we sort of fall around definitely and mookie
1: i mean is sort of the main character but not really because he's not always present i mean he himself is sort of an ense- it's an ensemble film definitely
0: he's like the flaneur the french term in in uh literature studies about the walker the mm-hmm. person that goes and observes things. So, yeah. I, all, most of the scenes happen in the sight of Mookie. We walk yeah, by or we adjacent see to him. Yeah. So, he, he occupies a very traditional role in in literature, which is well done because it doesn't always feel that we're just sort of tagging along. A few things we do see without. So, Mother, Sister, and Jade have a small scene together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, DeMayer has a couple things mm-hmm. outside of Mookie's vision. But I think for the large part, he is our protagonist he's our main protagonist
1: yeah as, cl- as close as we could get and he's spike lee so <laughs> yeah
0: and it's hard to it's hard to like separate that right right definitely
1: yeah so there's just a lot going on in this and i would say out of everything we've seen so far this is the the first film that i think is really sort of something that you could very easily identify as art like this is an this is it makes a statement it's beautifully done and it's and it's a different kind of film than than Ben Hur or like Blade Runner or or something like that.
0: Yeah, it comes off as a play too. Like a lot of a lot of the stuff actually seems like a play to me, which it's not right. a negative thing at all. I think it's just a very good, well-paced dialogue.
1: Yeah, and he plays a lot too with cinematography and staging of things. In that it, it gives it a very sort of on-stage kind of feel. Right, right. There's lots of in-your-face sort of things.
0: With that, I want to take us to our pivotal scene. I don't want to forget it. You were talking about interesting cinematography, and I was talking about aspects of the play, of the stage. I think this pivotal scene in which we approach a bunch of our main characters and have them just spitting racial slurs to one another, I think that's really well done. And I take it to be a pivotal scene because it just shows, again, that simmering hate beneath all of us, that simmering violence, that propensity – to I wouldn't say snap, but to ease into that violent space as easy as we can come out of it.
1: Right. Let's set this up just a second for people who haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long time. So what what happens is that it's Mookie and Vito or Pino, one of the brother, one of the sons it's of Sal. It's
0: Pino and it's the Korean no, but, store but owner. it starts
1: with Pino. Pino and Mookie begin a conversation in sure. the, in Sal's pizzeria. Pizzeria. They're talking about race. And, and so that's a very sort of uh, traditional, you know, they're standing in the, you know, it's realism. Um, and then at the end of their conversation, we cut, it's a jump cut to uh,
0: the street and it's approaching Mookie as he's spitting out words of hate, I guess. Yeah. I don't, I, without going into some of the slurs, I guess.
1: Yeah. And then we cut every time we hear a new voice in this clip, it's you're cutting to different people. And you it's a, these approaching shots that are straight to the camera.
0: Right. And so we kind of see the different sides, the duality of these characters or the multiplicity right. of these characters.
1: Yeah. And this is where there's some serious language Yeah, I guess
0: we'll another caution here, this is this is the point that you you might wanna be careful of.
1: Yeah, you want put on headphones. Don't don't let this blare out in your like if you're in the car at a stoplight. Don't don't
0: all right, well, with that, here it is. The day garlic bread, pizza and spaghetti And
1: victim on Perry Como, Luchado Pavarotti, solo meal, non-sing a motherfucker.
0: You gold teeth, gold chain wearing, fried chicken and biscuit eating, monkey ate baboon, big guy, fast running, high jumping spear chucking, 360 degree basketball dunking, titsune, spade, mulling yarn. Take your fucking pizza pizza and go the fuck back to Africa. You little
1: slanty-eyed, speaky American, own every fruit and vegetable stand in New York,
0: bullshit Reverend Sun Young Moon, some Olympic 88 Korean kickboxing sabbatam bitch. You Goya bean-eating, 15 in a car, 30 in an apartment, pointy
1: shoes, red-wearing, menudo, meet meter, meter, a Puerto Rican cocksucker? Yeah, you! It's cheap. I got good price for you. Now, Kachi. How I'm doing Chocolate, egg cream, drinking, bagging, and deluxe. But for this Jew asshole. Yo, hold up! Time out! Time out! Y'all take a chill. You need to cool that shit out. And that's the double truth, Ruth.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, I, your ears are okay, right? We're we're all adults <laughs> here. We can we can handle this. Yeah, we can. But I think that really illustrates a lot of the themes we've been talking about with community, right? Because these are racialized, stereoty- stereotypical slurs yeah, as opposed to simply anger and hate being, right. being spewed. So it's very directed. And each each person is actually of a different racial group yeah. that says these slurs. So I think that's very important to – it speaks to the violence. It speaks to community. It speaks to power even because they're also yeah. different social standings. So I think it really encapsulates a lot of the things we've talked about in this film already.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, I mean, I just have to say again, I I do feel ambivalent about this movie. But at the same time, I still like it. Like, the ambivalence comes in the complexity of the theme and the story, the narrative. Right. I think its effect is supposed to be ambivalence, Like you said, you're supposed to be overwhelmed. You're supposed to say, this is too much shit. And I think it achieves that. Yeah. So I really really do like this film, just in maybe a more roundabout way.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and and I, I think this is the, probably the first film. Well, there is one. I do have one caveat. Of all, of what I was going to try to say is that this is the first film of all the films we've seen so far that I can, without a doubt, tell you I liked. But I just, I wish it was, like, seven minutes shorter.
0: It is, the epilogue is maybe too much.
1: Yeah, I don't, I, I think this movie should have ended when Smiley puts the, picture on the wall
0: right that is that is the climax of the movie and then we have this denouement that maybe sheds a little more light on it but i think that may be a product of the stage or of of literature that we have these epilogues or postscripts right instead of having just like the more this is a very traditional story so most yeah most films are actually traditional whereas most short stories we read today are actually modern in that they start in the middle, and they just cut off, whereas right. all films seem to have exposition and an arc and then a, some kind of closure. And so yeah. this, this, this very much fits a traditional sensibility, but perhaps not our, our modern sensibilities as 2016 viewers.
1: Right, and we've got to remember this is from, you know, 1989. This is 27 years old. We've missed our thesis statements, and I want to do mine. Well, I don't know that I want to do mine, but I'm going to. Because this was hard, and, and I when I try to do our thesis statements for these films, I try to think of it in, in like, play analysis style. So if you've noticed throughout, throughout our podcast so far, I have a, you know, if you do this, you get this, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a – Very causally connected. Films are just like plays, and they have – you know, this is the – almost all of them have a message that is – that can be boiled down to that. Like, if you do this or if you do so, – you know, if you act like this, then this will happen. Right. And this one I had a little bit more trouble doing that too and so I I just wrote what I wrote. Laid on me. And so and this is rough but here it is. So I th- I think this film is trying to say that ignoring race leads to violence. Committing acts of racial violence whether they're born out of this sort of uh, over-bubbling attempts to sort of pat down race and ignore it, or if they're just from bold-faced racism, these acts of, acts of racial violence accomplish nothing. They, they just burn things to the ground. So racism and racial differences are only solved through some attempt at acknowledgement and community and communion and through some sort of hard work. And it's not something that it, maybe, maybe it can't be solved. I don't know. Um, because the film doesn't really give us a, a real... It doesn't give us closure, I mean... Well,
0: because there's no closure to this stuff right now.
1: Exactly, yeah. It's, this is something that doesn't... theres there aren't, there aren't easy answers.
0: So, for me, this film is a film of dichotomies that are apparently contradictory. So, we've mentioned love and hate, power, and those that lack power, black versus white, if we want to reduce it even further. yeah. I think this movie is about trying to reconcile those and seeing the consequences of that. So we end the very last thing we see is the Martin Luther King Jr. non-violence quote and then Malcolm X's I would say it is an allowance for violence. Yeah. So I think those two apparently contradictory things in the actual climax of the movie it's them two together smiling. Right? Yeah. In the, in the picture that Smiley puts up. It's the it's the reconciliation between these two things. And showing the audience, in addition to overwhelming them, in addition to spectacle, is saying, here is something we need to try to resolve, but look, this shit's complicated.
1: Right. How do, Yeah, how do you take a binary and make it not a
0: binary? Right, which has been the whole problem with race in America for hundreds of years. Right, yeah. We've had this binary system, you know, the one-drop rule. If you have right. one drop of, of what, you know slave blood or black blood that they would have probably called it then then you were polluted effectively you were they had like the pristine the pure and the impure
1: right oh and that's the idea of passing right all comes from you know if if you like if you've got one block one drop you're even if you look white you're 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 black black, you know and americans love dichotomies that's why we have a a part you know the two-party system
0: well it's it's simple right it's either this or this there's no gray area yeah, Americans love that. We love that. Yeah, I think to a large extent, people do in general, but I do agree right. that it, it is also an American. It's the great American pastime dichotomy. Right, exactly. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so let's get into our three questions. Yeah, let's do it. Ethan, do we care about this movie? Yeah, I think we
1: have to. Because, uh, God, it, it feels like this, this could have been made this year. Everyone needs to go out and see this. If you haven't seen this film, go out right now and watch it. It... I, it's just it's it's good. It addresses everything that's that has really been sort of brought to the forefront in the last couple of years in terms of race,
0: race and authoritative violence.
1: Yes, yes, and the, where they intersect
0: and how capital is enmeshed in all of those things. Yeah, so absolutely. I definitely think we care about this movie for all the above reasons. One, like you mentioned earlier in the episode, it is art. Yeah. I applaud it for its well-done arc, sort of the narrative strain or the the drama of the stage as it presents to us. I think its theming is very well done. And once you kind of introduce the idea of being overwhelmed, I think that also fits really neatly into the effect. And so that complexity is important.
1: Yeah, and it's just beautiful to to look at. (sighs) Yeah. And, and, and to go with that idea of being overwhelmed, I mean, it really gives you that sense. It's all these up-close shots. We get pulled into people's first-person views. There's all these weird angles. We've got these sort of, uh, I guess, magical realism is maybe. Maybe that's not quite the right term. But all these, there are things that, that aren't really happening but are. It, these, these soliloquies, these asides, it's, it's beautiful to look at. It's just beautiful. It's, it's awesome more so than anything else we've seen so far and maybe it's just because it's closer in time than most of the things we've watched although not that much closer in time um i mean because ben Hur was beautiful to look at but certainly not in the same way
0: right so i think this naturally leads us into the question of does this hold up uh, absolutely it could be ripped from the head like i said it already it yeah could have been made you, this year and also like we mentioned earlier global warming and also <laughs> the police brutality in which a black man ends up dead Yeah. That's so, it's so present to us today in 2016.
1: Yeah. And, and you know what, it really, you could have told me that this was a, that it was set in the eighties. Like it was a, you know, a a period piece or whatever. And I would have believed you. Right. I mean, that's really the only thing that gives away that it's not, you know, and nobody has cell phones or anything, but like, they're all wearing like eighties clothes or early nineties sort of, you know, style. Um, and that that in, if there if there's anything that dates it, it's the clothing.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. So what do we owe to this movie?
1: Well, see, I feel like norm. I mean, I've been chewing on this for a couple of days now because normally when we ask this question, we're looking for sort of tropes or firsts. And I feel like maybe there's just more cultural capital that we owe. I mean, it does important cultural work, and it was one of what I think six or nine movies that were put into the national film registry their first eligible year it's critically acclaimed
0: yeah i think there's definitely a matter of cultural capital speaking to a lot of people who had seen this movie you know not in 2016 closer to when it came out it was incredibly eye-opening to them so maybe some of the stuff we take for granted now like of course there's racial violence of course there's authoritative brutality of course there's a power struggle of course there's this capitalist violence or capitalist aggression it may right. not have been nearly as pronounced in 1989
1: yeah i'm c- certainly it wasn't so that and i'm sure that has something to do with i mean it was this movie was and continues to be highly controversial
0: so what i'm saying is it may have illuminated some of the things that we yeah. take for granted and so we certainly owe it some illumination
1: yeah definitely
0: i think it's a i think it's a safe bet to say a lot of controversial movies tend to be controversial because they put their finger on the button of a certain event or political stance. They get in the middle of those of those war lines, those battle lines, and find out what it is we're arguing about without us even really recognizing us arguing about it maybe.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm with you on that.
0: Yeah, so overall I think this is a great movie. I think it was well done. And so far it kind of takes the highest position well, literally on the list it does, but also sort of in my eyes, it sort of occupies higher position than any of the other movies right now yes this is a
1: film that for the first time i can say on this podcast if you have and i'm going to say it again i said it already if you have not seen this movie go out right now go to i don't where do you even you can't rent movies anymore it's not going to be in a red box go on itunes go uh go on if you have dvds on your netflix which i'm sure nobody does anymore yeah some stream this movie download it illegally i don't i don't care go see it now it's you
0: need to disclaimer don't illegally download this movie yeah
1: don't illegally download that okay maybe i took it a little too far legal <laughs> but yeah do you need do you need to see it
0: right so two weeks from now we have the last picture show oh which is 1971
1: i haven't seen this one
0: neither have i but it's set in east texas oh where i am currently residing East Texas. So we'll be back in two weeks with the last picture show. But until then, I'm Matt Bizzell.
1: And I'm Ethan Knight.
0: And there will be spoilers.
1: There will be spoilers!
0: There Will Be Spoilers was hosted by Matt
1: Bezell and me, Ethan Knight. We were produced by Matt Bezell. Our music is by the enigmatic Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find his music all over the internet. Google him. Our artwork was by Becca Knight. You can follow her on Twitter at BeccaTheKnight with a K. Or you can find her website at nightdraws.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. You can follow us on Facebook at There Will Be Spoilers. And you can shoot us an email if you want at spoilerscast at gmail.com. We plan on answering emails on our off week podcast, so be sure to send in your questions or comments. And finally, please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and or SoundCloud. And review us, please. Thanks for listening. What's wrong, honey? Um, I don't
0: know. You know I can't stand to be tickled. Hmm.
1: Well, what's the matter? Aren't you gonna do it?
0: I don't know what's wrong.
1: What do you mean? How could anything be wrong? Just go on and do it. Are you want to trouble, you little piss ain't? You ain't got no school spirit. <laughs> And Irene High School, we love you, love you ever so grand.
0: Never you mind, Never you mind.